Good morning, everyone. I don't need music. I can't sing. I got handed this thing, and I'm looking at myself. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. Good morning, everyone. I don't know. Everyone might be a stretch. Looks like we're missing a few people. Could be the time change, or maybe they heard they had to look at me again this week. Either way, it's a good excuse. What's that? Yeah, yeah. About the end, though, I'll be showing up. We'll have to start all over again. Um, the nice thing about the time change, because we love it so much, right? Everybody, show of hands, everybody who loves changing time. Really? Well, yeah, uh, John said you're misguided. Those are John's words, not mine. Uh, but the nice thing is, it reminds us that we serve an unchanging God, right? He's not constrained by time. He's outside of time. We don't have to worry about whether or not He showed up on time this morning, because He's always with us. And uh, so just remember, and all those little things we don't like to do, all the broken parts of our world should remind us of the amazing, perfect God we serve. My name's Matt. Um, looks like from everybody I see, you guys know who I am, but I'm the associate pastor here, and I have the privilege again this week of sharing with you from God's Word. I um, <clears throat> was, uh, yesterday we spent the day out in the yard working, t-shirts in short weather, but in the morning we started out with parkas because there was ice on all the puddles, and so that's the time of year we're in. You know it's warm when my wife wants to wear shorts. For those of you who don't know her, she's cold everywhere, and when it's 72 degrees in the house, she has a blanket on, and she was talking about putting shorts on, so... I am definitely looking forward to some warm weather. Um, let me open us in a word of prayer, and we'll get started here. Heavenly Father, we just again thank you for uh, the fact that you are unchanging, that you are the same today, just like you were yesterday, and you will always be, Father. And we thank you that you are here with us today. Uh, no matter what time it is, no matter how tired we are, Father, you're right here with us. Your desire is to grow us and mold us and and be a part of our lives, and, and help us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. I saw Charlie here, too. That's, you know it's a good day when Charlie shows up this early. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're in our series, 24 Hours in the Book of John, looking at the last day of Jesus' life. And um, Kurt started out the first week with um, the Last Supper and the foot washing, um, and then Jesus moves into this time of beginning to tell the disciples about uh, what's coming. And last week we looked at um, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, right? The only way that uh, Jesus equals salvation. Um, and again, he continues on after that to begin to, to tell the disciples about things that are happening, going to be happening, trying to encourage them. Um, and there's a big section between there and where we're at today. And, and I challenge you again to go back and read it. Jesus begins talking about the Holy Spirit coming. Um, and that it's a good thing he's going away so that we can have the Holy Spirit. He's reminding them that, um, that, that to love him means to obey him uh, and what all that entails. And so I challenge you to go back and read through those and, and study those sections of Scripture in between what we are working on. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Uh, the verse reference is going to be on the screen. I did not put all of the uh, words up there. You guys can open your Bibles or, or look at it later if you don't have a Bible with you today. And I'm going to go ahead and read through it for you. Um, so if you want to turn and, and read along with me, it's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. <clears throat> Again, these are Jesus' words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. 
and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you. <clears throat> I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, <clears throat> since I've told you everything the Father has told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father, Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. It's a great section of Scripture. Um, like I said, there's a lot of stuff in, in the book of John, um, and it's hard to pick which parts are most important, and but we have to choose because I'd be up here for many more hours if we went through every single verse. But this is an important section of Scripture, and, and this is a, a parable, right? A parable is like a story with intent, right? It's, uh, it's a story that was relatable to the people of the time, right? The stories Jesus told, the parables he told, the parts of the story made perfect sense to the people of that time. And oftentimes it doesn't carry over into, carry meaning into our lives because we're not um, part of the same culture. But the stories always have um, an, an intent. Um, and and the, the responsibility we have is to understand what that original intent is. <clears throat> and often in parables, there's there's one main truth that's trying to, that Jesus is trying to teach, right? And so sometimes we try to find all the little pieces of the story and make each one of the pieces, you know, make sense. And each piece has a meaning, a special meaning, and, and that's not the case usually. Um, we can't look for every little possible meaning in, in every little piece of the story. Each character and object in the story doesn't necessarily have any meaning outside of helping the story to flow and to make sense. And so we just need to remember that as we read parables, that uh, we can't pull each little piece out and and try and figure out how it pertains to me when oftentimes it's nothing more than helping the story to progress. <clears throat> so anyway, that's a, that's a parable. And so the context here is, is Jesus is still talking to the disciples, his, his apostles, the 12, right? Minus Judas, who we read a couple chapters earlier, has left the room. Um, he's, we now realize, they all now realize that he is the one that's going to betray Jesus. And so he has left. And so Jesus is talking to the 11, these, these men that had become his closest friends. And he's just told them about the things to come in the next hours and days, disturbing things, things that have left the disciples troubled and confused. He's also been comforting them with reminders, reminders of good things to come, reminders of how good God really is. <clears throat> he reminded them that he's going to prepare a place for them and that he'll be back to get them, to take them to be with him forever. He reminded them that he was sending the Holy Spirit through whom they would find even greater power, more comfort, more understanding than what they have now. 
It's been honest with them so that as these terrible events start to unfold, that they would believe. And the last sentence he says before this section of Scripture is, I don't have much more time to talk to you. So not only are we looking at the last day of Jesus' life, Jesus realizes he's looking at the last conversation he's going to have with his most precious friends, the men he had been closest to his whole life. Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus is the only way, right? We had Jesus equals salvation. You guys remember that from last week? I see a lot of head shaking. We also said that it's all Christ or it's not Christ at all. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus equals fruitfulness. And it's a theme I believe you're going to see in the last day of Jesus' life is this theme around Jesus. Jesus equals. So this week, Jesus equals fruitfulness. Fruit is the life of the Savior being produced in our lives, right? It's the life of the Savior being reproduced in the life of a believer. It's mentioned eight times in this chapter, the word fruit. There's many other places in Scripture where there's fruit. Uh, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Colossians 1, 6, and 1, 10, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ has gone out all over the world bearing fruit. 1, 10 says, we ask God to give you spiritual wisdom, then you will live <clears throat> then your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. James 3.17, wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, and reasonable, full of mercy, and full of good fruits. And if you notice, through all of these sections of Scripture, there's a source of the fruit every time. And it's being connected to the true vine. The vine produces the fruit in the branches. And apart from the vine, there is no produce, fruit produced. The vine is Jesus. Jesus, the Lord, is the vine, and the branches are you and I. You and I who have already found salvation in Christ. So we are the branches to produce the fruit. Jesus is the vine that produces the life, that produces the fruit in us through his life. <clears throat> the only part we have to do is to remain. It says, you remain in me, I remain in you, you produce fruit. Remain. It's used 11 times in this chapter. It's used 40 times in the book of John and another 27 times in his epistles. Another word for remain is abide. It's a theme in many of John's writings, abiding, remaining. It means to live or dwell to be stable, to be fixed on something or in a position. The vine is the source of life for the branches. It's also the source of fruitfulness. And as long as the branch stays connected to the vine, there's life and there's fruitfulness. So Jesus equals fruitfulness. <clears throat> but there's also a vine dresser in the story. Vine dresser or gardener, as some versions say. And so the question is, who's the vine dresser? Who's the gardener? Well, Jesus has already told us it's God the Father. God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener, the one who prunes, the one who trains, the one who cultivates the fruit. He cares for the vine. He works hard to make sure the vine stays healthy and more fruitful and that the branches, therefore, also are fruitful.
So we know that as branches remain in the vine, they produce fruit, and that as the gardener, and that the gardener looks after the vine and the branches to keep it healthy, to keep it producing fruit, producing an abundance of fruit. And as we said earlier, you and I are the branches. Christ is the vine, God the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser. <clears throat> it all makes sense, right? We know we're connected to Christ. We know that He is our source of life, He is our source of everything. But I wanted to focus a little more on something else that Jesus says, and that's pruning. He mentions pruning at the very beginning that the Father prunes the vine. And so those of you who have gardens, have ever had fruit trees, especially grapevines. Grapevines are a, a kind of unique, um, but there's different types of pruning we do, right? We did cut off dead limbs, right? Things that have lost their life, bugs, diseases have gotten um, into them, and they're, they no longer have any life. So we remove those. We remove branches that are no longer producing fruit. They're healthy, but there's no fruit produced, so we remove those branches. But the most important type of pruning, the one that we spend most time doing, the one we pay, oftentimes pay to have done, is the pruning that removes the healthy wood. It's a special type of pruning. You remove the healthy wood so that it can produce more fruit. But more importantly, so that it'll produce better fruit. Because it's not just quantity that God's looking for, He's looking for quality, quality fruit. Pruning is often removing good parts and even better parts so that we can have the best fruit. And when God is pruning, you and I, it's often painful. We don't like it. It hurts, but we know that we need it, and we know afterwards as we look back how much it's helped our lives. So here it is. The more you and I abide, the more we remain in Christ, the more we stay connected to the source of life, the more fruit we bear. And the more fruit we bear, the more God has to prune us. You guys seen vines that got left alone and unpruned for many years? We rented a house a couple years ago that had um, just amazing fruit trees and great vines all over the backyard, but the previous tenants had lived there five plus years and had never pruned anything in the entire yard. And so the grapevines, they'd built this really nice, um, yeah, well, what's the thing they put, you know, with the X's on the ends and they stretch the wires across for, for yeah, I guess it's trellis. Anyway, it was big. They did a really nice job, but they never pruned them, so they grew out over everywhere. They grew up, they completely engulfed an apple tree. The entire apple tree just looked like a giant grapevine. I mean, they grew everywhere, and there was so much fruit. I mean, everywhere, that every single thing you looked at was covered in these little tiny pea-shaped nasty grapes. <laughs> they were not good. Uh, they weren't. I mean, there was tons of fruit, um, but it was worthless. <clears throat> the vines took over the entire yard. They grew like crazy. Um, they were producing a ton of fruit, but again, with no pruning, it was worthless. The fruit had no taste. It had no value. And it's the same thing with us. God desires an abundance of fruit from us, but He is most glorified when we have the best quality fruit, when we're not left on our own to grow wild and crazy and produce lots of worthless fruit. <clears throat> quality fruit only comes when we embrace the pruning that God desires to do in each of our lives. So now we have to ask the question, fruit, what is the fruit for? Does the vine eat the fruit? Do the branches eat the fruit? No, obviously not. 
The fruit is for others to enjoy, right? Oftentimes, even the vine dresser doesn't benefit from the fruit. The fruit is for others. The life of Christ produced in you is for the benefit of those around you. The fruit of your life, the fruit, the life of Christ being lived out in you. So, if others are not enjoying the fruit of your life, then maybe it's not the fruit God desires. Maybe there's pruning that needs to happen. Maybe there's things in your life that need to be cut away. Or maybe you need to reconnect with the source of life. Maybe you need to learn to abide in the vine, Jesus Christ. So maybe you're asking now, okay, what does it look like? What does it look like to have, to be connected to Christ? We know the pruning is God's work. It's not something we have to worry about, right? Oftentimes pruning looks like divine discipline, which is why it oftentimes is so unenjoyable, right? So that's the part that God does, but how do we abide? How do we remain in Christ? And I'm not going to give you some new formula for staying in Christ. We've heard it over and over again. How do we remain in Christ? How do we abide? And there's several ways. Like I said, you guys have all heard these before, so it's nothing new but it's a great reminder. But it begins with the fact that you are placed in Christ through your faith in His finished work on the cross on your behalf. It begins there. And once you know that, once you're completely convinced of your amazing position in Christ, once you're resting in who you are in Christ, then I believe there's four main things you can focus on that help you remain in Christ. The first is prayer. I know prayer is a tough one. It's probably the weakest area of my, my walk with the Lord is, a, is my strong prayer life. I go through times when I'm, um, I pray a lot. I spend a lot of time in prayer, and, and I go through times where I don't. It's like God takes a back seat for a while, right? And prayer is, is recognizing our dependence on God, right? And it's also opening a line of communication with God. We speak to God, and He speaks back to us prayer. It's an important part of Christian life. It's an important part of staying connected to Christ, abiding in Christ. The second is worship. All of us came here today for worship, not just to sing songs of worship, but to worship the living God, to give to God what He alone is worthy of, worship. Worship, just like prayer, is a lifestyle. It's not something we do occasionally. It's not something we do once a week. It's not something we do when when we're enjoying what's going on in our lives around us. It's a lifestyle of celebrating all that God has done for us and all that God will do for us. Third area we can focus on is fellowship. In most churches, in a lot of churches, especially Southern Baptist churches. We've been in a few of those. When you say fellowship, everybody knows you mean food, (laughs) right? But it's more than food. It's more than just getting together for fun times. It's not just meals together, but it's building close, personal, intimate relationships with other believers, believers that are going to hold you accountable, believers that are going to point you back to Christ, believers that you can hold accountable and point to Christ. And together, as a body, 
we draw close to Christ. The last one, and I would say most important, is God's Word. In this section of Scripture, Jesus says, remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And he goes on to say, I had it marked and I missed it. But he goes on to say that if my words remain in you, you remain in me and my words remain in you. God's word. My wife and I spent many years overseas as missionaries and the most important task in our minds was being able to get the word of God into the language of the people that we were trying to reach. Because apart from the word of God, we have nothing to stand on. God's word is the most important way you can stay connected to Christ. As long as his words remain in you, you can produce fruit. So you have to ask the question, are you spending quality time in God's word? Is Sunday morning the only time you're getting a feeding from God's word? It might be. If it is, then I would challenge you to consider a daily devotional, daily time in God's word, reading for yourself. Prayer, worship, fellowship, God's word. Four ways you and I can remain in Christ, can stay connected, can continue to bear fruit that benefits those around us, that benefits the community around us. Fruit that is everlasting. If we don't have a kingdom focus, an eternal focus in life, then most of the things we do are going to be burned up at some point. They're going to be worthless and mean nothing in eternity. And eternity, folks, is a long time, especially compared to this little short life we have here. When our greatest complaint is having to turn the clock ahead or back. <laughs> Last week, we said Jesus equals salvation. This week, we said Jesus equals fruitfulness. We could say Jesus equals abundance, an abundant life, life to the fullest, experiencing the greatest purpose in life. Jesus equals fill in the blank. I think it's the best equation we can put on the screen is to say Jesus equals everything. And if Jesus isn't everything to you right now, then you need to learn who Jesus is. You need to form a deeper relationship with Jesus. You need to understand all he has done for you, all he is doing for you, all he wants to do. The Bible says that if we draw close to God, he draws close to us. God wants to be our everything. It's either all Jesus or it's not Jesus at all. Heavenly Father, we again are so thankful. Thankful that you sent your son, sent your son to die on our behalf, that he could take our sins and that we would receive his righteousness. Father, help us each day to focus on you, to realize that Jesus is everything or he's nothing. Help us to produce fruit, Father. Help us to Produce the kind of fruit that, that impacts the community around us, that those who don't know you want to know you because they've seen your life being lived out through each one of us. Help us to focus on those areas where 
we need growth, areas where we need to spend more time with you, learn more about you, learn how to be more like Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>